Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. Today, we're discussing the sales and distribution of exchange-traded funds. What are the skills and strengths needed to expand and nurture a thriving customer base for ETFs? As we've been tackling different Wall Street careers, we've been looking through a lens of different types of firms and titles, and today is no exception. We want to give you, our listeners, a broad and rich view into these highly sought-after and complex sales roles. We have Inga Rockwald and April Repi Sadam with us for this episode. Welcome, both of you, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be on with you, Christine. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's been so great to, to get to know you before, we, before we've even gotten started, but I'm looking forward to this discussion to, to learn more about both of you and the roles that you have. And so, Inga, I'm just thrilled you joined us today. So can you uh, please just introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Inga Rockwald. I'm a senior portfolio strategist at Charles Schwab, and I've been at Schwab for about seven years. And in my prior role here at Schwab, I also led a product management and strategy team. And in my past before that, I had held a couple of uh, product and strategy roles, as well as client-facing roles at Allianz Global Investors, RS Investments, both uh, asset management firms. And I did start my career at two investment banks during the dot-com era, uh, crazy times, and where I focused on research and distribution. Uh, I'm a native of the East Coast. I'm originally from Annapolis, Maryland, but I live now and have lived for many years in San Francisco with my family. I love San Francisco. I always say, don't don't believe all the bad things you read. It's still beautiful. And I love riding my bike. I think that's what I really love to do in my spare time. I have an old steel-framed Le Mans road bike, which I am very, very protective over and as much as my husband's tried to get me to upgrade it, I happily refuse. How lovely. That's awesome. It's good to have those things in your life that, you know, mean something and give you joy when you're with them. So that's fantastic. April, I'm also so thankful that you could join us today. Will you tell us something about yourself? Absolutely. So currently I head up Latin America's sales and distribution at one of the ETF firms. I have almost nine years in this role. But over half my career, which is getting close to two decades on the ETF side, has been international. So I am bilingual. I am fluent in Spanish and English is my first language. I also speak some Portuguese. Does does come into a factor on the work front, but definitely not fluent. From a career standpoint, while I'm on sales and distribution now, I also have a pretty varied background, similar to Inga, but also very different. I have operations background. I'm naturally good at Six Sigma process optimization work, uh, but I love communicating on the sales side and have a lot of knowledge in Latin America overall. I'll mention on the personal side, I'm born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. So I'm a Midwest gal at heart. From there, I went all over, including starting my career in Phoenix, Arizona, 
moving to the East Coast with my prior firm. And now I'm settled into Chicago, which is a beautiful return home because it's a Midwest roots, but a major metropolitan city. And besides that, uh, worth mentioning, I am a mother of three and married. I have a kindergartner and I have two young infant twins, uh, boy-girl twins, who are approaching one year old later this year. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. That's a busy household for you, April, for sure. (laughs) I also love the Portuguese aspect. So in Maine, we recently welcomed like 86 family members to one of our hotels here. And so they've been living there for about a year. And almost all of them are Portuguese speaking from Africa, came up through Brazil And so my son and I volunteer at the hotel. We just play games and we're some of the only volunteers that started when we did. And now we just kind of continue. My son is 16 and and we love it. It's like super fun. And this last time we decided to play life with them. And not everyone speaks English fluently, but all of them speak Portuguese. Well, there's a and you'll you'll have to correct me if they're just fooling with me, but we're playing life and they just are cracking up every time I'm trying to explain the rules and, you know, and it's making me laugh. And finally, I'm like, what is going on? And so someone finally says to me, every time you say payday, it's like you're saying I fart. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I had no idea. And so then we're like, so we had to change that to like, I want my paycheck, you know? And yes. so, so anyway, it was really, it was so cute. And we had, you know, we had such a good time and it was amazing how long a game of life takes. If you're sort of like having to like translate every one of those little squares on like the life events of somebody into Portuguese. So oh, anyway, wow. uh, you, I, you, I need I'm, to learn more, but now I know how to say I fart. So I guess. That, well, that's you you may or may not be more fluent than me. Uh, the game of life, I think, covers a lot more than my Spanish to Portuguese vocabulary uh, <laughs> conversion. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, um, today I'm excited to learn about your lives on the job. So maybe, Inga, can we start with you on a recent day in the life? I know it probably looks different every day, but maybe take us into your world a little. Yeah, so I think just starting with my my kind of general personality and what I like to do, um, you know, my typical day is really varied and unpredictable, which is just how I like it. So, um, I mean, there is an element of predictability as far as, you know, the role goes and sort of expectations, but because the markets and the nature of the investment industry is just constantly changing and by nature, that means what I'm focusing on is is also constantly evolving So really a typical day for me in my role is uh, starting with a lot of reading and research. So nothing too deep, um, given, you know, sort of the need to kind of know a lot at a high level. So it's looking at market research, maybe some more specific research, uh, what's going on in the general economy and the kind of the political spectrum. So a lot of kind of general reading, you know, keeping up on what's going on with the markets Another big piece is preparing for client presentations. So I give a lot of uh, client presentations. I do webcasts. Sometimes I do bigger event presentations. And so really preparing for those. And one way I tend to kind of get ready for that is I, I keep a lot of notes on different topics and I'm sort of always revisiting them and then adding to them. So I have kind of what I would call little book reports uh, on number of topics sort of all over my computer desktop. And so I'm reviewing those. 
and really kind of looking at, you know, where there's a need, uh, you know, with this role, you're really partnering closely with distribution partners and your teammates. And so, you know, really kind of seeing where, where is there a need? Is there a client or investor who's maybe struggling with some concepts that we need to address? And so really partnering with my colleagues uh, as well. I'd say that's, that's kind of a typical day for me. Oh, thank you, Inga. What about you, April? How does sales and distribution look in your role? Yeah, I loved this question because as we talked about, I think it's hard for anybody, regardless of which role you capture them in, to say that there's a typical day as the adjective for that. But I'll give you two quick examples because my day actually looks very different depending on whether I'm not on the road versus on the road. For my job, I am often in territory, meaning that I'm in the countries in Latin America that I have sales and distribution efforts in. Those days when I'm on the road start early, 5 or 6 a.m., that I'm waking up to get ready for the day, reviewing my notes, and then most of my meetings, I'll have a breakfast at 7.30 or 8 a.m., depending on the country. And I usually go till about 11 p.m. or midnight those days. I'll have about 8 to 10 meetings that I fit in, There'll be a breakfast, hopefully a lunch and a dinner, so I have some food along the day, but I try to pack those agendas. And so between meetings, I'm usually in an Uber or with a driver in most of those cities. And so the time between meetings, I am luckily not easily carsick. I have my laptop open. I'm quickly writing the notes from my last client meeting, giving a voice message or a a email or message to my team of what immediate follow-up to send and prepping for that next meeting. So when I'm in country, my day is long, it's full, and I have plenty of energy to make it through that whole day. Let's contrast that with what if I'm not on the road and I'm here in Chicago where I'm based. Then I try to protect my time a little bit more. And the team knows the expectations of, let's say my typical day is going to be more like 8.30 to 4.30. And that time is often filled with meetings as well, perhaps only four to six, but some of those might be virtual meetings or webinars like Inga was mentioning, but they could also be a lot of internal meetings, whether it's with my team or the other shared services within the firm that are trying to get all the strategic aspects of the job moving forward. So very different rhythms, very different working hours uh, as just two quick examples of what a day in the life of sales and distribution may look like. Oh, fantastic. And I love how you call it a rhythm. I know when when I worked in San Diego, lived in Maine, it was sort of the same thing. I would go out, my job was strategy. I would come out to the broker dealer and I would pack those days. You know, they would start at like 6 a.m. and they would go until midnight and I would just get as much in there as possible because I didn't have my family. I didn't have the other things that were vying for my attention. I did try to fit in some of the restaurants that I wanted to be at or, you know, up in LA or San Francisco or the things that I needed to do while I was on the West Coast. But then when I was home, I was much more patient with how much I could actually get done in a day and a lot more time with my family. So maybe that, you know, before we dig into some of the other things that you guys do, maybe we can talk a little bit about that work-life balance. And I don't know, Inga, with your ways of sort of finding your rhythms, how have you been able to strike a good balance between your work and your life? Yeah, it's it's always such a big topic and such an important one, frankly, because I'm such a big believer if you, you know, you wear you th- yourself too thin, I don't think you're good at your role and certainly you're not, you know, good to those in your personal life either. And so I've definitely been guilty of not having a good work-life balance. I think particularly 
early on in my career. Um, but as you progress, and I think for me, particularly after having a family, just the nature of having a family makes you, you know, inherently have to multitask. And so you add, you know, certainly career and other aspects to that. And it just becomes part of your prioritization. I think it's critical that you put family life in work and, and all of these things into a, a kind of priority bucket. And just as you, you know, if you have a, so, you know, you know, your daughter's playing a soccer game at, you know, 630 and you need to get them to the other side of town, bake that into your day, you know, do some prep the night before if you need to. I mean, I'm a big person who, you know, sometimes I get ideas at night, not necessarily at 11 a.m. And so sometimes I'll adjust by doing a little bit of work in the evening or, you know, just really making sure that your those key kind of components of your personal life are intact. I think it's, again, really, really important. Otherwise, you kind of easily get stretched thin. So in essence, it's really just putting your personal life into the priority bucket, just as you would with work or, or other tasks. It's It's really important. Thank you. I think that's such a good reminder on the prioritization and always being conscious of what prioritization needs to happen and probably needs to be reprioritized quite a bit as, you know, life changes, right? What about you, April? How have you found some ways to, to make this work for you? You know, it's interesting, even that word balance, I, I just had a good visual I'll share with you all that has to do with the prep for this podcast, right? If you're going in to adjust your audio settings, that's the type of balance I think of when I'm thinking of work-life balance. It's hard to a lot of times think about, is it a perfect balance? No. But if you think about adjusting the knobs, like in your car, if you're adjusting your audio settings, are you moving the audio to the front or the back of the car to one side or the other? It may not be perfectly centered. And so I've gotten so much more comfortable as I've matured, I'll say, in my career and in my personal life with being comfortable with it being a multifaceted balance and I'm adjusting the knobs. And so there, I think it helps to know what's important to you to set those expectations and to be flexible. Something I do on a daily basis on the work front is I have a daily notes list I keep in my calendar and I literally copy and paste and move things around that as far as like what needs to be done next versus other outstanding items. It is a very living document. Throughout the day, I can copy and paste like, I have to get to this. This can be later. And then, of course, I'm really good about protecting time. Inga, you had some great examples there that maybe if it is related to a kids or family sporting event that you're maybe working a little bit differently hour-wise the night before. I am really good about putting blocks in my calendar. It's never a perfect scheme, but I make sure that I block enough time if I have an appointment or if I have an obligation to protect the time before and after. So we can go into so much more conversations from a career development standpoint on how did I get comfortable with that? But I think it is this constant adjustment of those knobs if you're thinking about the balance, knowing your priorities and setting the expectations with the people that it impacts. So whether it's setting, hey, here's my preferred working hours to my team when I'm at home, or it's setting those expectations with my husband of, there's something big coming up. I need to work late this night. Right. And setting those expectations on communication are so important. I remember learning that when my girls were little, before my son was even born, 
you know, every time I was home, they wanted to talk to me. Like it was, you know, like there was no delay. I walk in the door and it was just like, mom, 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 you know, show me this. I had one who was a gymnast. She was always on her hands. She always had a new skill to show me. The other one was, you know, always a creative with drawing and, you know, wanted to, you know, share all those pieces. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'm in a pretty good cadence, you know, like they always want to be with me when I'm home. Ah, and then they turn into teenagers and all of a sudden I walk in the door and I'm like, hey, mom's home. And, you know, they're busy. They're off. And, you know, and I only have a certain amount of time. You know, there's days before I'm going to be on the road again. And so we need to have these like quality conversations. And it wasn't happening. And I was realizing, huh, you know, like I'm missing that, which I do with so many people I work with, you know, like what is your preferred communication do you want it by email? Do you want to sit down and have a coffee? Do you want this? And I hadn't really done it with my girls. You know, it's like, how do you want to be communicated with? And like, how is it better? And instead for them, it was like shorter communications that I needed to have while I was gone with them. So that when I came back, I was still comfortable. Like I still knew the nuances of what was going on in each one of their days so I could catch up more fully. Cause otherwise it was just like, mom, you've been gone for two days. Like life's all changed. You know, <laughs> like you can't even catch up at this point. So, you know, I, I felt like for me, what you were just saying about like having the adjustments and knowing how to communicate, it just changed so much over the course of raising them. And so I, I, I sort of offer that as being ahead of both of you and having kids that are, that are growing up. It's a great point. I think a great point on like, we try to be deliberate. It's such a good reminder to be present in the moment, whether I'm here talking to both of you and having no distractions or my team or the kids. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to say, harder to do in practice. But again, I'm so thankful for that comfort of knowing that it's going to look differently day by day. To your point, Chrissy, it's going to look differently year by year um, and working to find that right balance of those audio settings, if you will. Yes, yes. I also think it's so important to ask for help if you need it. I think a lot of us, you know, particularly women take on so much. I know for me, I like to do, you know, I'm like, oh, I can take care of it. I can do this myself. Um, and I, you know, definitely guilty of being a little bit of a control freak. And so, you know, I'm trying to do everything and sometimes definitely takes a moment to just step back and say, you know what? I can ask somebody for help on that part. Um, and I think it's okay, you know, to, to know that you can do that if that certainly makes your work-life balance a little bit better. Yeah, Absolutely. Inga, that would go oftentimes when on panels and other events, when people talk about work-life balance, I think this is such an important time to mention that it is through the strength of our teams that often we can mm -hmm. do everything we can. You get the question of how do you do all of this, April? How do you have the time? And the truth is, is, I have really good teams around me and that includes my teams at work and it includes my teams at home, like my husband or the family or the caregivers that come in, the neighbors, right? And so when you think about that support system, those teams on the work front and home front or anything else on the fronts that you need to adjust those knobs on, I think this is a great spot to say thank you to everybody along our sides. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you for offering the thank you, because I do think we we are a product of the fact that we live in community with so many people that enable us to be who we are. There is no doubt about it. I know that, you know, I've lived in Maine for most of my career, didn't really look or behave like a lot of the folks around me because I was always on the road. You know, it's like what my life looked like was very different from someone who was homesteading in Maine. And, you know, it's like, where's Christine today? You know, it's always it seemed to be somewhere different. But I had a husband that was like, 
my biggest supporter, my biggest defender of being, you know, that I was a good mom and that I was a good wife. And, you know, and it's like those kind of assurances while you're going through times where you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? So thank you for that reminder of, you know, just being thankful that that we can do all the things that that we set out to do and still be able to do our passions and still be successful. I would also love, Inga, to kind of come back to what you were saying, too, with just that idea of seeking out help when you need it. And sometimes the help, I think, can be really constructive. It's like, okay, I just need somebody that gets somebody from point A to point B, (laughs) you know, because Mm -hmm. I can't drive because I'm not in town or I'm at work. But sometimes that help to me looks like I just need assurances that the season I'm in, it's normal what's happening, right? You know, so normalizing a little bit of, yes, it's okay that this is the reaction that your child is having to this, or this is how I'm feeling. Like my joy in my job isn't as strong as it's been in this chapter because I'm really torn and I want to be home and being able to talk to, you know, sort of other moms and other folks that share those things, I think is just such a help in what we do. So thank you for that reminder of like making sure that we're seeking the right people in our lives to help on both the emotional and the sort of logistics of doing this work in life together. So one of the things that I've found has been really helpful in this series while we're diving into careers is talking a little bit about what you would look for in the person that you would hire to replace yourself. So, you know, as folks are looking at, and I mean, both of you have such impressive backgrounds, impressive jobs. I was so thankful when you both agreed to be on the show. So I think there's so many listeners that are being like, yes, I would love to do what she does. So can you give us an idea, and Inga, maybe I'll start with you, of what would it take for someone to impress you and you'd say, yeah, you know, like this is this is what you need and this is what you maybe need to develop over a few years to get where I am at. Yeah, I appreciate the question. I think first and foremost, it's really just a strong sense of curiosity. You know, I actually am a, a, a liberal arts major by background. So my trajectory into finance is quite untraditional. My parents both worked in kind of liberal arts oriented fields. And so I had very little exposure to finance. But what really appealed to me about it was that kind of intellectual curiosity of it. There's just so much to learn. And I'm a learner by nature. I love to learn. I love to read. I love to learn new things. And so, you know, you need that curiosity, I think, to really enjoy and and thrive in this role. And I also think you really, you know, need that kind of passion for for challenge, I I guess is how I would put it. It's that sort of enjoyment and relishment and and kind of trying new things that are difficult. Um, I definitely, I sometimes I think I'm nuts, but I, I really enjoy putting myself in difficult situations that aren't necessarily natural to me or things that I've been comfortable doing in the past. And I like to do that because it kind of gives me a sense of accomplishment and, hey, I can do that. And then it just gets easier and easier. And and I actually really start to enjoy it. And so I think really, and, and I say this particularly for women, you know, challenge yourself. I often hear women say, oh, I, I don't think I'm qualified for that role or that's not really a, a good fit with my background. I'm like, well, how do you know? I mean, I certainly didn't know coming out of university that I would be end up doing this role, you know, and it's just, I'd really encourage people who are thinking about this role, just try 
as many things as you possibly can, uh, whether it's at your current firm, you know, even if it's not your role, just, you know, see if you can pick a mentor or someone just to even talk to you about what their role is, you know, try as much as you can within your firm, you know, try a new job if, if that's of interest, you know, don't be afraid to try new things. I think you, you know, often you can be really surprised by what you actually end up liking and, and what you don't like. I think a lot of people think that, oh, I want to be this. And then they try that and they're like, wait a second, that is not how I expected it to be. And so I think the more you try, the more you kind of experiment with different roles, you could really refine a, what you like, but also be what you're good at. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a it's it's an iterative process, ongoing, as far as how you think and learn about these types of roles. Thank you. And April, what about you? What would it take for someone to get into your seat? <laughs> That's a great. So. I love hearing your story, Inga. We have some things in common. And then I already know some of the differences of why I wouldn't be the perfect person for your role. And, you know, so I also came from a liberal arts background, did not necessarily intend to go into finance per se. I was more general business, economics, and Spanish. And so I was sparing everybody on this part of the conversation how I got to where I am today. I think looking at what skills and if I were really going to look at who could replace me in doing my current job. I'm naturally very organized. It's one of the first traits you'll notice about me. And I think that's really critical because when I am doing sales and distribution for Latin America, there's such complexity that comes into the geopolitical context of each country, the regulatory environment, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And so while I'm not necessarily the researcher, I'd say I'm really organized and good at aggregating information that can be synthesized into a strategy and execute. So if you go back to remember my introduction, I had a lot of operational background that has proved really helpful in my role because I love that my role is multifaceted. I did to use a lot of different components of my skill set and brains, but organization across the board, that operational background is what helps me from an execution standpoint but I also am client facing and leading a team. And so there's some personality traits such as confidence and communication that I think are really helpful there because whether I'm talking to a client, a regulator, a team member, there's an aspect of communication and relationship management in that. So those are some of the quick adjectives slash skills that come to mind, Christine, but very interesting in that I would absolutely agree with you, Inga. It's an iterative process over time to discover that combination of what do you like and what are you good at? And it doesn't mean that it has to stay exactly on that path, but over time, you get so much more comfortable knowing where you want to sit or where you want to head. I agree. And I think if we combine some of those concepts too, something really powerful in my career has been when I've chosen mentors that are outside of where I think I'm going or where I am and then asked to sort of be a little bit of part of what they're doing. So, you know, maybe they're working on, you know, an acquisition and I'm like, hey, I'll do a little research for you. You know, like this weekend, I'm just going to look up some things, you know, about that area and like give you a little summary of what I found or something like that. So I'm I'm of value, but I'm also like getting a peek into what they do. And I feel like if you can manage your mentoring relationships where they allow you to kind of come in and take a look. And Inga, I also loved what you said about like, sometimes it's not a good fit. And 
I think sometimes the doors that we know that we should shut are almost as valuable as knowing which ones we should open. Mm -hmm. And April, I would just, I would echo sort of that organization piece. I feel like that is so important to the sales and distribution role. I mean, you can imagine the number of voices I'm saying this to our listeners, the number of voices, the number of competing priorities, if you aren't organized, your tendency to get tugged into one area and, you know, become a little bit too fixated in a, a certain area when you know that you've got so many other competing priorities, which, you know, takes us back to what we've all been talking about is how important it is to prioritize. I really appreciate that reminder on organization. It's not as sexy, but it's <laughs> certainly important, right? Yeah. Uh, so I love reading, you know, we can't all get on the plane to like get into other people's lives and really understand, you know, sort of the nuances of what it is to be a human, um, in all the walks of life. But I think books can like open us up to that, whether it be a nonfiction memoir, a how-to manual, or even, you know, sort of the fiction that I tend to gravitate for. So we are constructing a virtual bookshelf um, on this podcast, so I would love to ask each of you of a book recommendation. Maybe something you've recently read, or just something that you always go back to. We get a lot of a lot of a lot of things. So, Inga, do you have something for us? Yeah. So uh, I mentioned I uh, was a liberal arts major, and so when I can spare a book in that field, I, I tend to gravitate toward them. But I'm currently reading this book called. France and Adventure History by Graham Robb. And it's terrific because for those of you who like history, it's got, a, you know, kind of a great chronology of France's history, but it does it with stories and a really creative way of putting history together. So highly recommend it. That's fascinating. That is a brand new one for us. Wow. And so it's it because if you think France and adventure history, I don't know, I would think it would be a little bit dry. But the fact that he does it in story has got to be really compelling. Very well done. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. What about you, April? Oh, this one was probably the toughest question for me. I have to be one that admits up front. I do not think that I have actually successfully read more than one book a year for the past several years. And especially with still relatively young infant twins, um, my actual quick books I've read have been about twins or, or you know, labor, delivery, raising children. But I'll give you two quick examples of what I did most recently read is actually a family-related book. It's called Battling Ward. It's a very niche book. It was written by my great uncle about our Greek ancestry and how my great-grandfather came over. And it's the story of how he came to the U.S. And my grandma is part of that story. And so it was really amazing to read that book and to put into context the stories and the personalities from my family that I may not have had the chance to experience or meet. It was really special, but again, very niche. So for a broader reading audience, I have to admit that the book I most frequently quote, even within personal circles, is Freakonomics. There's so many great things in Freakonomics um, that are just interesting life curiosities from a statistical standpoint. Well, we will take them both. Um, Freakonomics is um, it, not only the book, but the podcast. They have, I think, a few now. You know, it's just, it's fascinating. When I'm just looking for that, like, mind release of, like, give me something to entertain me, I it is my go-to place. Thank you for that. But I also love the fact that you gave us a book that, you know, tells about your own unique ancestry. I, I love it. So 
Thank you for both. We'll put links to both. If you can find me a link on Battling Ward, I will, I will put it in as well. So thank you so much. And thank you both for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, just, I'm just in awe of all that you both do. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Inga. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help We Talk Careers get in front of more listeners looking to succeed, just like you. And while you're there, go ahead and hit that follow button because there's going to be another brand new episode and you don't want to miss it. Until then, keep thriving. Thank you for listening.